So, I had a completely different episode planned to start the new season, then a couple of things happened and I just felt like I had to talk with you about this. Am I having a breakdown? I don't know. Let's find out. Together. This is an episode about love. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank 1 to help you write more. Plank 2 to help you write better. And Plank 3 to help you feel a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end, I talk about books and stories in all their many guises. I invite guests on to spill the beans slash tea, delete according to generational preferences on their craft, and sometimes I look at the work of listeners and suggest ways to make it better. This is the first episode of season six, probably the least interesting thing about it. The podcast has been going for years now. We've recorded over 100 hours of interviews. There are two full free writing courses you can go and check out if you haven't tried them. There are a range of first page critiques, episodes where I dive into a subject, and then there are the ubiquitous and apparently unstoppable writing ramble episodes where I switch on the microphone with neither script nor plan and say things, then upload it unedited. Easy content dressed up with an air of rebellious authenticity by calling it unplanned and unedited, as if those were virtues rather than failures of effort and or defects of character. There's no logic at all to when a season starts or end. They just stop abruptly, often when I've reached some kind of creative or emotional nadir, only to re-emerge a few weeks later, sometimes fewer, with apparently nothing having been learned at all. So I just want to manage your expectations right from the beginning. I currently have zero updates to the format, no ideas for freshening things up. There will be no bold new visions unveiled and implemented in season six. We're just continuing our death march into Arctic tundra until we are consumed by the ethereal white void. Now, this episode is going to be me talking about a subject that feels very important and of the moment and, and maybe foundational to every other aspect of writing we've covered or will cover. But I also might just be hitting some hormonal speed bump right now. I, I'm tapering off the medication that helped me through some very difficult depression over the past couple of years. What I'm saying is if I seem more emotionally effusive, that is entirely decent or sane you might want to mentally adjust for that on the other hand maybe i won't come across as especially emotive maybe i seem flat and robotic and maybe i'm just creating an alibi because we associate emotion with a lack of intellectual rigor and authority and all sorts of sexist patriarchal garbage maybe this just matters to me and it's okay for me to feel emotion about it and hopefully it'll matter to you too so you can have some kind of in on this episode. It won't just be me trapped in a service elevator with you, um, which I'm sure would be entertaining in its own way, but maybe not quite what you're here for. Um, and maybe it will even help you. Before we get started, uh, if you like this show and you like what I'm putting out into the world here and you'd like me to be able to continue, uh, that's not, uh, it's not, a th it's not a threat. I'm not saying I'll stop if you don't, but, but if you'd like to, if you'd like to featherbed me against the vagaries of a cruel world, may I make a sincere but non-binding appeal for you to go to my 
coffee page or ko-fi i mean i would pronounce that ko-fi but it i think we're supposed to say coffee that is ko-fi.com forward slash tim clare and drop me a few beans or consider setting up a regular donation the podcast will always be completely free at the point of use because too much writing content is behind paywalls or costs money but if you would like to chuck something in the hat to show your appreciation i would be deeply grateful it it costs me money to pay for hosting episodes and for the website and i spend a lot of my time writing and recording and editing episodes i've actually got four interviews in the can thus far that's can in the sort of hollywood film canister sense rather than four interviews in the toilet i i think the the acoustics would be horrible um but so i've put a bunch of work into this season already and that's fine like you didn't ask me to I can't just turn up and say, I'm not turning up and saying, pay me for this. You don't have to at all. But if you feel like you can chuck me something, it, it makes a big difference to my ability to do this and to spend time with it around my actual professional work and being a dad. And um, it helps me pay my bills. Regular listeners to this show will know I'm autistic because uh, apparently now I've got my diagnosis after initially trying to play it down um i just i will not shut up about it it's um something i say all the time to everyone i speak to uh also i have various mental health challenges well probably as a result of that a little bit and most of the time look i'm doing pretty good these days i'm pretty happy i'm much much like the the last five seasons there are some you can hear the moments where um i hit a tricky time there are some there are some <laughs> there are some rough episodes that feel less like writing podcasts and more like the sort of ambient ambient storytelling audio logs that you pick up in a first person shooter where the character whose logs you're listening to um is definitely going to be dead you're definitely going to find an important item on their body at some stage and you're 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 listening to their deterioration there's some episodes that feel like you know about three quarters of the way through that downward plunging arc um but i i'm pretty happy at the moment I, I, and have been for a while you know doing much better i don't want to ever like present uh recovery narratives are often there's a pressure to always go i'm doing great i've I, i'm over it and I don't think that's how life is, right? Like uh, life and its many fluid problems are managed rather than cured. We're just always, as long as we're alive, going to be humans in the meat suit. We don't get to retire to Elysium in this life. But I, I'm doing pretty good. Like I, I want to make that clear. Um, but because of the memory of those things I've gone through and the way it's affected me uh, and just the vagaries of life in general, I don't feel like I could ever do a Patreon thing where I'm like, pay this much a month and I guarantee you this much content plus a bunch of behind the scenes content. Like I I feel certain, especially because I work on my own, I, I just let you down and I'd feel guilty and I'd feel correctly guilty because I would be charging for a service I wasn't providing so by having this model uh, for one it just means everything's free at the point of use which means that there's never anyone shut out from any of my content 
because of cost. Anyone can listen to everything I put out on the show, use all the courses. They're all completely free and always will be. And, you know, my books are available at the public library in the UK, at least. So pretty much everyone can access all my output for free. And I think that's really important because so much of writing is behind paywalls, some more obvious than others. You know, writing pedagogy, if you want to go and do a writing course, it's going to be very difficult for you to get that for free. You're going to probably have to pay a lot and you're probably going to have to take time off work and be able to get there and do make all... It just assumes a lot of money and then you are you going to buy books? Are you going to go to these talks with agents? There's lots of places that, you know, are it's an industry. It's an industry that is run to make money and that often masquerades as 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 a disinterested promoter of art and i think loads of people go into the industry because they love art and they love books there's no doubt about that in my mind and a lot of orgs uh whether they are funded by public money or partially through private money um i have no doubt about the passion of people involved in terms of access to creative writing pedagogy and helping people express themselves and write that that's but it it still costs and so i i I want to not contribute to that basically um so i've got this model that's like a i guess like a busker's open guitar case or an honesty box (laughs) i'd say honesty box but that makes it seem like you're stealing uh stealing books from a village uh if you don't put some money in but that's not how it works it is free but if you'd like to support me in the show you can do uh but i'm never gonna give you up never gonna let you down never gonna run around and desert you nor will i offer a series of perks for having supported the show except my sincere gratitude so a link to that is in the description of today's episode along with a link to the death of a thousand cuts discord uh because you can go there and chat with other people who listen to the show and talk about writing. That's completely free as well. Um, You can just join us. Some people share work asking for critiques uh, and uh, you can help give feedback on other people's work, talk about books you like, talk about the latest episode or just chat. It's uh, just be chill and be nice. And so far, everyone has stuck to that. And it's uh, I'm really, really glad that I finally uh, set it up because turns out people who listen to this podcast are generally a really sound bunch and I like them a great deal. Um, And and finally, I'm an author. I write books. Uh, that's, uh, That's one of the reasons I feel qualified to be talking to you now. I'd be much obliged if you'd read the work I've done. I have two novels, The Honours and The Ice House, which are both like weird gothic drifting into strange, feverish, but I hope quite heartfelt adventure. Also, my latest non-fiction book is called Coward, Why We Get Anxious and What We Can Do About It. It just came out in paperback last week. Um, those are all available as physical books, ebooks, and audiobooks. In fact, Coward is read in its entirety by me the the audiobook and the audiobook has been doing really well i don't know if you've been 
getting it. I don't know if that's I don't know I don't know if that's you. But I've seen like the feedback on audio sales and the audiobook's done really well and I was kind of like a little bit taken aback. Um but that's lovely. Yeah, it's an entirely recorded audiobook by me. Um I mean done professionally, I I'm just I'm the voice. I didn't I wasn't the engineer. I didn't direct it. I didn't put it together. It was do- it's done by a professional company, but I read my own book, um, which made sense. And I turned out I couldn't, I did. There was a lot of words I'd seen written down. I'd seen written down because I wrote them down. I had no idea how to pronounce them. That's one of the things about doing any audio stuff, including this podcast. Occasionally, people will email me and say, "Tim, that's not how you pronounce Arkansas." And and thank you. Uh, I I hope that it humanizes me because I know, you know, when I give out advice i can seem like an untouchable i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say serif so more of a throne that that level just a series of wheeled eyes or eyed 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 wheels i suppose technically anyway um so yeah i hope that's humanized me for you and made me seem a little bit less intimidating that i can't pronounce quite a lot of words um yeah, so um, there'll be links to those books in the show notes slash description. Just, you know, the little box under the episode today that you can go and, and pick them up. If you're interested, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on them. Right, that's it for introduction. Sorry it was a little bit longer than it would normally be, quite a lot longer than it would normally be. A bit more housekeeping than is perhaps customary because it is the first show back, our maiden voyage i hope this letter finds you well the world remains a jangly befuddling place but we're breathing uh for the if you're not then stop listening and please phone an ambulance but assuming you're breathing for the next x minutes we have each other so pull up a pew light a cigar or better yet two cigars one in either corner of your mouth that will make you look very cool indeed pour yourself a scotch egg a a scotch egg nog tell your servants to take the rest of their day off kick back and let's talk about words yesterday i went to see the super mario brothers movie that was the first trigger the second was that in various places including on our lovely discord server for this very show i've seen various writers share lately how they've been struggling how their confidence has taken a knock, how they're honestly just not writing, how they're barely reading a lot of the time. Concentrating's hard, optimism's hard, going back to their work is like opening a closet door onto a wasteland of shame that screams and gibbers until you slam the door again and padlock it. And to be honest, I I get that completely. Recently I had a bit of a mare, maybe even what we call in the business a western, a super mare when it came to my own writing. So these three things converged, an astrological grand cross, and I just feel moved to talk about it, to dive into it, because I've been feeling some things and I hope they add up to something useful. And I felt this couldn't wait. I was going to do a completely different episode, but I was like, I have to talk about this now. I'm buzzing with it. So look, the first ever story I wrote, or more accurately drew, featured Donkey Kong. If you're not completely conversant with super mario law he's a big ape he's a bit like king kong but 
a little bit smaller. Um, or more accurately, parts of my story were based on levels from Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, it started off and then it sort of moved into Donkey Kong Jr. It was mostly done in pictures because I couldn't write much except for the title. So I must have been four or five. And even then, I clearly loved Mario. I was so enthralled by the games, by pictures of Mario, by everything to do with him. I guess back then in the UK, there would have been four games available featuring Mario. Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., in which Mario is the villain and he wields a whip. <laughs> that's something that's sort of disappeared in the Mario lore, that he's a that he he he, do, he wields a whip. Um, Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers, because in the UK we didn't have what would ultimately come to be known as Super Mario Brothers 2, colon, the lost levels. Uh, our Super Mario Brothers 2 eventually was a actually a reskin of a Japanese game called Doki Doki Panic. Anyway, what matters is I, I loved it then. I loved Mario then. I loved Donkey Kong then. And 42 years later, no, that's no, technically 38 years, 38, 37 years later, I still love it. Yesterday, I, I, I went to watch the Super Mario Brothers movie with my six-year-old daughter. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the same age as Mario essentially um and not not in world i don't think of god i might be older than him now crumbs uh but in terms of how long he's been around in our world as a piece of licensable content and, and taking her was a useful adult alibi but i went for me i went for me i was really nervous because i hadn't been to the cinema since 2019 i find cinemas a bit stressful because i worry about getting there on time and what other people might do i have an irrational fear someone's gonna shout out spoilers which has never ever happened right i've never been there and that's happened but it, it, it's there as a fear and i just find it quite trying especially if i care about the film you know i really wanted to see this film and it might sound odd because it doesn't necessarily sound like uh the, a film that one would be optimistic would be brilliant especially if you've seen the previous iteration like you can't fathom how much it would have meant to me growing up to see this movie done in this way that was about the games not a weird sort of fever dream version that was more inspired by Terry Gilliam's Brazil than Super Mario Brothers. Uh, and that's not even that's not even false. It, it, the, 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 I think it was 1993 the other one came out and it really was absolutely off the wall. But like, I don't know if I've told this story before, but I remember going on a school trip to Tembe when I was 11. Uh, we stayed three days in this hostel. And one morning at breakfast, I was talking excitedly to, to my friends about the movie The Wizard. So this isn't even the, the Mario Brothers, the original Mario Brothers movie hadn't even come out yet. Um, the Wizard was a frankly awful live action movie starring Fred Savage of the Wonder Years. And it was entirely conceived as a vehicle for Nintendo licensable content. Basically, this kid, not Fred Savage, another kid, a smaller kid, traumatised by the death of his twin sister, turns out to have this savantish genius at Nintendo games, exclusively Nintendo games. So he, his cousin, 
that that's his cousin is played by Fred Savage, um, takes him across America to try to enter this Nintendo tournament. And I think there's a bunch of prize money they could win. Uh, and, and their aim is to do that to avoid the kid being taken into care. And it is a bad movie. It's a really bad movie. I think even as I watched it, I sort of knew, despite try, you know willing it, willing myself to love it, um, I knew it was quite bad. Uh, all the footage of a Nintendo game shows them being played really badly. Like it's it's clear no one on set even understood what the aim of each game was. Uh, I don't know who was controlling the joint, maybe a member of staff or something, but all the actors are still like, they don't, they don't create good footage of the games. They just have someone who can't play them, play them and then have the actors all respond as if they are apprehending the risen Christ as someone, you know, sort of fails to reach the first checkpoint on Rad Racer or whatever, they're literally doing as badly as you can do at the game. This isn't me being sort of... I know you might sort of hear me and go, well, Tim's just being critical because he's brilliant at video games. I'm not particularly. But, you know, this is like if, you're, if your nan played the game and didn't know where the jump button was and fell in, like, literally hit the first Goomba, literally fell down the first hole. That's what we're watching on the screen. And people are like, what? Like, <laughs> like, like, this child has had to go through a life-changing trauma that's left him mute to develop these Cervantish powers, to be completely crap at games, right? And and, and the final contest in the movie uses the then-unreleased Super Mario Brothers 3, and everyone playing it, in the final is dire at it, but it's still being breathlessly commented, commentated on as if these are the most incredible players on the planet. Anyway, sorry, look, I have a tendency to monologue and info dump about these things, about this information, and that is probably because I'm autistic. I was diagnosed two years ago at 40 and learning lots about a subject we care about then sharing that information with others is one way. Typically, stereotypically even, autistic people try to connect with other people. It's a way that I say, hi, here's who I am. Here's what matters to me. And I think the implicit invitation when I do that is for the other person to then info dump about the things they're jazzed about. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's like the emotional equivalent of trading spice for horses on the Silk Road, right? Like that's and and, and <laughs> but but with often with people on the other end, uh, neurotypical people not realizing that that's what I'm asking of them for them to just squee out for them to just like geek out about something they love, and I would sit there and just just listen. I would love that, but people don't because they don't realize, <laughs> and so that ends up with me just talking at them. So anyway, back to the story. Um, while so so um, we're there, some 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 little boys in primary school having breakfast. It's my first. It's all of our most of ours first time away from home without our parents. We went for three days, and I was had some cornflakes for breakfast, which we didn't normally have cornflakes. I'm not because we weren't allowed them. We just didn't have them normally. So I was eating my cornflakes in Wales, and I'm chatting enthusiastically about this movie, and a guy who ran the hostel 
overheard as he was collecting our bowls and he asked what I was talking about and then he scoffed, rolled his eyes and loudly said, and I won't do the accent, he said, trust me, when you're 21, you won't give a stuff about the wizard. Now, I don't know quite why he felt the need to roast an 11-year-old autistic boy for liking something age-appropriate. Like, I hadn't engaged with him before then. I hadn't said something demeaning or thrown my cereal on the floor. You know, I, 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 and I haven't, obviously I hadn't even said to him something like, and you know what? Mark my words, I'll still love this movie when I'm 21. It was just a complete non sequitur. But here's the thing, it still hurt a bit. You know, I I wasn't devastated, but it did make me feel a bit small and foolish. But <laughs> he was wrong. I, I, I'm, I am double 21. And guess what? Unnecessarily sceptical Welshman. I still give a stuff about the wizard and I still love Mario in your face. When I went into secondary school, right, my, uh, what we, you know, my special interest, we call it in autism, uh, in ADHD is often called hyperfixation. Uh, it, it, it became increasingly unacceptable to care about Nintendo and Mario so much. There was a point where I did a start aging out of it being okay like I didn't stop feeling it but the world changed around me and and really what that man did then in the hostel in Tembe was it was the first attempt for the world to beat it out of me to shame me out of loving something I cared about um I, I got bullied for wearing clothes with pictures of Mario on I had a full tracksuit with pictures of Mario on I had Club Nintendo t-shirt I had a Mario wallet I played the games all the time once we got them I, I read Mario choose your own adventure books I was actually told in my last year of primary school I wasn't allowed a new workbook if I kept writing stories about Mario in it because I wrote a lot of Mario fanfic with pictures pictures ultimately um the bullying that I had in secondary school got so bad I didn't want to go to school I I felt like I'd felt like I'd rather be dead and the effects on my self-esteem and anxiety are probably with me to this day but I didn't stop liking Mario none of that actually changed what I liked it just taught me to hide it and feel bad about it we didn't have a nintendo for a long time like that's the (laughs) it wasn't my parents being cruel but we actually didn't have i didn't have the ability to play mario games i don't think maybe not even maybe i was in secondary school when we did eventually i remember going around my friend ross's house and playing I can still remember very clearly. This is the thing about these your sort of special interest is it it it, it ends up being sort of connected in a Proustian way to all these memories. So I went to my friend Ross's house and he had a Nintendo and we played Super Mario Brothers and I was just absolutely enthralled and I had my first crunchy 
while I was there. So if you don't know, if you if you haven't encountered a crunchy, so I don't know if they have them outside the UK. Uh, it's chocolate, milk chocolate with a honeycomb in the middle. And not literal honeycomb, just, you know, caramelised sugar boiled into a honeycomb. And I remember, I can still remember the taste of my first crunchy and watching him. And I guess he would have been playing through World 4-1, I want to say, because uh, uh, the cloud guy with the goggles, Lakaitu, uh, who he called Lady Shrooken Shrooken for reasons that I didn't ask about. Um, and I've never quite understood, but he had a pet name for, um, I don't know how you pronounce Lakitu. I've never heard it said, but anyway, that guy throwing spinies down on the, the floor. There's a nice joke in the Super Mario Brothers where, movie where Bowser doesn't know what spinies are called. I do because I'm autistic. Um, but like that, I can remember that, right? Like, and I, we, but I didn't have, we didn't have one when I was, you know, I didn't when I was the one of the reasons I liked the wizard so much is because it would seem like a mystical thing. We didn't have it at home. Um, what I did have is I had like a poster on the ceiling above my bed. Um, it was just a promotional poster that I can't remember where we got it from. Maybe I, I got it folded up. Maybe someone, maybe I bought it off a friend or something, but it was literally one that's supposed to go in a shop or comes folded up with games. Uh, and it had little screenshots of the games. And I used to lie in my bed at night and stare up at it, at all the different games. And I used to draw pictures, you know, like I would draw pictures of different imaginary levels and what I imagined the games would play like. Um, we couldn't watch the uh, the cartoons uh, by by Dick, you remember Dick, <laughs> um, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, because they mostly weren't on terrestrial te- television. But um, I think they eventually were. Like, they must have been, but they mostly weren't. Um, but somebody like a videoed, uh, someone we knew like videoed a couple of episodes off satellite. And then I think I got them and they were in long play and we didn't have a long play video player. So that was heartbroken. And then eventually someone taped like two episodes and I would just watch them over and over Um, and I didn't talk about what I cared about with my peers or with adults because I knew I I knew that I would be criticised for it but I still cared about it and I still I I wore the clothes you know it didn't stop me and I don't know I can't I couldn't tell you why I, I did I couldn't really tell you why I do, except it makes me happy. This is all a long-winded way of getting to yesterday when I watched the movie and I cried, and I've just teared up saying that now. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers for the movie because I know it might be important to you, but right at the beginning they start with a a little rap, and some of you might know it because I, I was mouthing along because it was the rap from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and it's the one that they used to start each episode with and I and I, um, I, I was the only one in the cinema who knew it uh, and I was so happy I knew every word already and me as an uh, as a as an 11 year old and me as a suicidal 20 something and me now grown up there with his with his lovely six-year-old daughter who was wearing a big yellow Wario cap that some of my friends got me, my lovely friends, a couple of years back for my birthday. 
We were all like linked in this moment of sheer joy. And it was like, it was, the movie was so built for me. I can understand why you might not be particularly fussed about it. But for me, so many frames were composed of nested references and lore. And each one pulled a memory out of storage. Like, you know, me being at my friend Ross's house and having that you know, that Proustian, Madeline-style recall moment of having my first crunchy and playing Super Mario Brothers and knowing what level we were on and seeing these worlds... Um, it was almost psychedelic, the experience. And I was rushing. I was so full of joy. Like, you know, early early on, there's a, a guy in, in the cafe and the guy's cap is a reference to the game Wrecking Crew, which is a, re- a game that lo- not a lot of people remember now, but was a, uh, you know, was a sort of kind of important early... Mario game. I mean, I could. The problem is any of these that I want to talk about. I'll, I'll, I'll start, you know, monologuing on. Um, there was, a, you know, there's a there's a sign late in the movie that's a reference to to Balloon Fight, which is Nintendo's sort of clone of a Williams's Joust, and 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 like Joust is a is a tight game. I've I've got the board game of Joust, which I've still not even played yet. Um, on the on the cupboard but but, but I, oh, and, and 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 there's this disc cun there was a little disc cun like that which is a reference to the, the character um who promoted the famicom disc system that's why we didn't get super mario brothers uh the lost levels of super mario brothers 2 because it was released on the on the disc system so that's like and, and and then that restaurant that's called canard is is referencing duck hunt that's a picture of one of the ducks i mean i think most people will have got got that those bats are called those bats are called swoopers i said as, as some bats swooped down that big turtle is a sledge brother after my daughter asked me why some of the cooper troopers one of them was big um and and those few notes we we hear as the castle uh, uh um pans into view tilts into view those few notes that we hear when we first see peach's castle are the beginning notes of peach's theme you hear when you first see the castle and that same stained glass window at the beginning of mario 64 and 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 i'm having to hold back now from making this entire episode just about me reciting mario law because i'd love to do that you know i'd love to do that and i'm sorry for crying it's not supposed to be performative but you have to understand for my most of my life this has not been my experience most media most books most everything like thinks what i like is stupid and even like mario cartoons didn't care about it right like even mario cartoons didn't care about it the the i mean it wasn't their fault but like the dick ones they combined Bowser with Warp from Super Mario Brothers to our version. They 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 smashed a lot of lore together, and then they did a Super Mario Brothers three one. But they released it before uh, the names for the Cooper kids had been localized, so they made them up. So 
anyway, look, I, you don't care. I know you don't. And it, it doesn't matter that you don't care. And I know also that when I talk about it, sometimes I can get so lost in my own head that actually I'm making references to things that you don't have context for. And so it can just sound like I've gone completely crazy, which is why sometimes things like autism and ADHD can be, they get misdiagnosed as uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, or in the case of autism, the kind of flight of ideas and pressured speech can be misdiagnosed as kind of psychosis or mania, because it sounds like, why, why, why are you coming out with all these disjointed ideas and you feel like you can't stop? Like, uh, most media doesn't care. The Scott, like, like in The Wizard, you know, they didn't care that anyone who played any of those games, if they watched, would be able to see no one in this movie can play video games at all. They didn't care. The Scott Pilgrim movie had someone, you know, even the Scott Pilgrim movie, right? Supposedly like a love letter to nerds. Um, You know, it had someone playing Zelda on a Game Boy Advance, but the music like was clearly from the SNES version of Zelda. And you might go, that, that, that's what threw you out of a movie, Tim, where someone can pull a digitised sword out of his chest. And I'd say, yeah, you know, it, it, because it made me feel... It was a message to me saying this movie's not for you. This is a movie for people who want all the the appearance it's like it's it's like a very beautiful cake that's actually made out of polystyrene we want all the surface references uh the all all, all the shape and none of the weight um there was all the style but no love and my point is i, I, I like i was crying there in the cinema because i was just so happy I had such a great time watching it and I cried afterwards too. I, I felt so happy that I'd plucked up the courage to go, encouraged by my wife who helped me book the tickets because I was scared. And I felt so happy to, that I got to share it with my daughter. And she knew a bunch of the references because we've been playing Mario 64 together. She's been asking me to talk about Mario 64. Sometimes say to me, Daddy, will you talk about Mario 64? I have no idea why she picked that. Maybe I mentioned it once. But I think she senses that as an autistic person, I, I like her daddy likes talking about that subject and that it's a way for us to bond. And we start playing the game together. And it meant there were bits in the movie where she was like, that's and she knew. I didn't have to tell her she knew who it was. And it was thrilling for both of us. And I just felt so happy. And I, I, I just look back and I, I think... Why did I first start writing? Well, I literally started drawing stories because of love. You know, because I, I played my little Donkey Kong Jr. game and watch. This little metallic green one screen thing with rubber red buttons. And it made my head fizz and it made my heart swell. And I wanted to live in that feeling. And I wanted to expand it and make things and maybe share that feeling with others that's why i wrote 
book after book of Mario fanfic, all these blue exercise books, just filling them with it until my teachers told me to stop. They said, stop, don't do it. I'm not going to give you another book. You know, that's why I, I read so much about the games. You know, that's why I watched cartoons and looked at pictures. I, I bought comics in in French because they were Mario ones and, and we didn't seem to have the same Mario comic over here. So, I, I, I you know, I was reading stuff in in French about about the champignon kingdom or whatever it was you know what i never did i i never sat down and i'm worried that i hadn't written enough mario content that week i never shared my daily word count and reflected on whether it was good or disappointing i never asked myself am i allowed to write this am i the right person to write mario am i am i good enough to write this should i be doing it am i as good as the other people writing about mario i wrote because i loved it Watching that movie, and, and you know, it's just a, it's a fun knockabout adventure movie, right? It just viscerally connected me with that wellspring of joy and enthusiasm and loved, love that got me started, you know. There's King Boo. There's King Bob-omb. Oh, my goodness. Uh-oh, that's a, that's a dry bones. That's good. Like, you don't, like, maybe this means something to you. Maybe it doesn't. You know, and there were things that might not have even been references in there. Is that is this street scene a reference to Urban Champion? Probably not, but it looks a bit like it. I'm getting that vibe. Is this moment a reference to Squish? Probably not. On the other hand, I do suspect that a lot of the storyboard artists and people who came up with scenes just went to Nintendo memorabilia and Nintendo lore and was like, OK, where can we find inspo? Where can we find moments? That's what I would guess. Oh my god, it was so great, and 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 and, and I, I had tears streaming down my face at points. I've just cried telling you about it. I was reconnected with wonder, with giggly excitement, with happiness, and of course, I don't professionally write about Mario these days. I don't write Mario fanfic, and I, I don't feel moved to it. It's not a world I I I want to explore fictively. Uh, although I enjoyed their version of it. But for me, that core of love and wonder and joy are why I write. And get this, recently I hit a bit of a sticky patch working on my new book. My confidence was low. I'd been rewriting this one section. It was starting to feel more like an anxious tick, the rewriting, rather than proper editing. I felt stupid and useless that I couldn't make the things in my head be on the page. And I felt afraid that the stuff... I care about wasn't even worth being on the page. I'm writing a book about board games and card games and how they might tell us about what it means to be human. And I'm like, why would anyone care about board games like I do? It was that guy from the 10B Hostel again. Why would anyone give us stuff about the wizard? So imagine you come across a child and presumably you know them and they've been crying and you ask them what's wrong and they tell you their ideas are stupid. They were trying to make something, but their ideas are stupid and they're rubbish at everything. They say they love something very much. And when they try to make art about it, they feel happy. But it's probably a stupid thing to love. And their art isn't good enough and they have no right to make it. 
what would you say? What would you tell them? Would you say, yeah, you're probably right. Best to put all that in a drawer and forget about it. That way you'll save yourself being in pain. Or you might say, who told you it was stupid? Who told you your art was bad? Where did you get that idea from? Or you might just go ahead and say, you know what? If you love it, it's not stupid. Making stories or pictures or music about something you love is never stupid. Other people might not always understand. That's okay. You know, they might even feel a bit jealous. But love is a gift. I want to say to you, you listening to this right now, cultivate a healthy anger. An anger that the moment you catch yourself thinking, I suck at this, I've failed at this, I don't deserve to write, you just strike it down with righteous lightning. You say to that voice, fuck you. I write about what the fuck I want. How good does it need to be? Fuck you. That's how good. You want it to be a different story? Write it yourself. Listen, you, you listening, you do not owe the world any story to any particular standard, right? This is me talking to you now. I, I wouldn't swear. Forget the child. I wouldn't say that to a kid. Um, Look, you are sovereign and you are beautiful and your love, the stuff you care about, is always right when it comes to art. Did you hear that? Your The stuff you love is always right when it comes to art. The Super Mario Brothers movie has the biggest grossing opening of any animated movie ever. It's the highest grossing video game based movie of all time and already it's the fifth highest grossing animated movie of all time. The thing I loved with all my heart that I thought was stupid, that was just me, clearly resonates with literally tens of millions of other human beings around the planet. Recent wildly successful, critically acclaimed books in the UK have covered everything from fungi to the metaphysical poet John Donne. People are deeply weird and often we don't know what we want until we're engaged with it. Like, am I interested in this topic? Well, are you interested in this topic? I mean, how often is interest and love, how often are they so infectious? And popularity isn't even the point, by the way. I'm just making it clear that the choice isn't between obscure authenticity and being a successful, cynical hack. You can sell out and fail, both financially and critically. You can do both. You can go for the cynical sellout and still bomb, right? You can write the most insincere, cynical crap, abandon everything that matters to you, aim squarely at the market, and still vanish without a trace. But if you write out of love, if you write because you are you and you matter, your love matters. I mean, good God, in this fallen world where people can be so mean and there's so much to worry about, to have you, right, you care about stuff. I know you do. You wouldn't be listening to me now if you didn't care about stuff. And you are here with your wonder, with your love. You represent something brilliant about us. You know, this big family of human beings. Your enthusiasm is so beautiful and wonderful. It, it's one of the best. It's one of the best aspects of humans. Our ability to love things and care th about things and, and be interested and be sincerely joyful and grateful for things in the world and to go wow and to care and to and, and, and for your brain to be stuck on these things and you've got this story then you don't feel you can write it but you can't get it out of your head and you keep thinking about it and oh god you're such a dummy to think you could write no 
Look, I think claims of autistic uniqueness are often overstated. Uh, the you know autistic traits are human traits, and although autism is a real, if heterogeneous and poorly defined condition, uh, I know that you, if you're not autistic, I know you still have one or more equivalents of Super Mario in your life. Maybe a plethora, maybe one or two. Now, you may not have done it to the sort of compulsive extent to me, but I know there are things, topics, shows, people, places, themes that just feed your heart and fill it up and make it glow and swell. Like your brain starts to fizz and you could almost... You could almost sort of do a handstand and just plunge the top of your skull into the basin of that subject and your brain would just go, feed me, om nom 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 nom, and a mouth would open up and guzzle away. I mean, not literally, um, that's a bit far, but you know what I mean? There, there are areas where you just go, I'm home. Where you can just sort of let go and you almost like bathe in it. People don't write because they don't give a shit. You care. Like you care and you know, you you know, you do. This isn't, you're not hearing this and going, ah, no, Tim, I, I don't care. Like the problem is, if anything, you care in a way that hurts, right? Like it, the problem is that you do care and, and caring makes you aware of your own vulnerability. It makes you different. Like caring is a, is a great way to stand out and in a lot of situations we get punished for standing out there may have been times in your life and you can probably think of moments where you or someone who could have been you suffered for acting differently or getting noticed or trying and consciously or unconsciously we think shit better make sure that never happens again if you're worried that people will judge you because your writing's bad fuck them write worse to punish them Lean into stuff you love and imagine relishing their miserable cringing. A cringe is an anxiety response. It's a flinch. It's an instinctive retraction to make oneself smaller, to either protect the body, to freeze, to avoid a predator's notice, or to fawn, you know, to appear smaller, to avoid a fight by supplicating and appeasing an aggressor. If anyone cringes at your stuff, and they almost certainly don't, but you just probably imagine them doing so sometimes. But if someone did, if they cringed, that's their weakness, their vulnerability, their own issues around openness and creative risk and standing out. Oh, you're making me cringe. Why would that ever be an insult? You're the one cringing. You're the one flinching out of fear of breaking group norms because you're so desperate for approval, so terrified of being seen. You can't handle it. If you cringe, it's your problem. Look, my dear, dear friend, if you want to, you can write for attention. You can write for status or money. Those are okay things to like. You can write to try to make yourself feel like you're worth something. You can write out of fear that you'll never escape the job you hate without a book career. And all of those things might propel you a little bit sometimes. But the clean burning fuel that lasts forever is love. When we write for love, it's easy and beautiful. It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily commercial or saleable. 
even if it is either or both of those previous things, it may not ricochet off the various necessary pinball bumpers of good fortune in order to be read by many or any other humans. I say it's easy, that's not quite the right word. Maybe it's better to say it's natural. There's never a question of whether you will or won't do it. You just do. You have good days and bad days, but you do it because it's what you do, because you want to go back to the place where the love is. When my daughter was very little and she'd wake up multiple times in the night, one thing I did to get myself through those hours of walking her back and forth on my arm while I felt absolutely haggard with sleep deprivation was remind myself that one day this would no longer be available to me. One day I'd look back and wish I could pick my infant daughter up and sh- 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 her back to sleep in my arms. That I could hold her and kiss her head and smell her sweet, creamy cheeks and look at us both in the mirror. And I, I was right, I do, I do have those moments now. I'm really happy she's growing up and every new stage is thrilling. I love spending time with her, but I'm glad I remembered not to wish those nights away because it made me cherish them a bit and it, and it did make them a bit easier. I still found loads of it really hard. I still flunked loads of aspects of parenting and I still do. I'm not claiming to be some serene diva. I don't think, given how this episode has gone, you would ever believe me. But I can say that making that little mindset switch did help me out a bit. We can wish our lives away as writers. No sooner do we start a story than we want to have finished it. Will I finish it? Will it be good enough? Will anyone like it? Oh gosh, what am I going to do? What are we trying to accomplish when we ask ourselves these questions? Often we're teleporting ourselves into the future, yearning for everything to be over. Well, look, (laughs) you, you may know this rationally, but it bears repeating. One day it will be over. One day you'll close the laptop and you'll never open it again. One day you'll write a word of fiction and it will be your last one. Ursula Le Guin, Octavia Butler, Hilary Mantel, they all wrote smashing books and and none of them will get to write another word, to explore, to come up with a neat sentence or have an idea and put it down in a notebook or put a particularly devastating line of dialogue into a character's mouth. They all wrote a word and it was their last. Books that you have written do feel like nice accomplishments. I, I am glad I've written some books. But there's an odd distancing effect where it starts to feel as if someone else wrote them. I know at least that I could never write the same thing again. Not exactly. So much of the phrasing is partly the child of accident. So many of the little ideas are probably lost to me now. And... There are new things I want to cram in, you know, new ideas. And the beautiful thing is you have infinite space to explore those ideas. Infinite, never-ending Lego bricks. The blank page doesn't run out until we die. You'll always have room to make more, to conjure rooms and living, breathing naughty, confusing, contradictory, gloriously alive people. Take your power back a little bit, you know? Remember who you are. This happened, then this happened, and then this happened. You speak it, and it's true. 
you are beholden to no one. Go right. Right, that's the totality of today's episode. Coming up in future shows, I have a whole bunch of interviews and I shall be looking at some of your first pages. If you'd like to submit your work for a future episode, please do listen to previous critiques so you get a sense of my approach and the tone. Then you can send me, if you want to, the first 250 words, edited, polished, the best you can make them of your novel or story in the body of an email. I just need the title and your first name, nothing more. You can send it via my website, timclairpoet.co.uk. Just click the button that says contact me okay that's it please subscribe to the podcast or using whatever podcatcher you prefer um spread the word be cool thank you for listening i do appreciate it i hope you're well and above all i hope you have a wonderful week of writing